Bible with you, and I hope you'll open it to Matthew 6. We're going to start there, and we're going to go to several other passages, uh, but we're going to start here for a bit. And we're looking at it, we're starting a series of messages through the Lord's Prayer. And we're looking at a, a few phrases at a time. And uh, we looked last week on Sunday morning at uh, praying in Jesus' name and what it means to really pray in Jesus' name. It's not just four words we tack on to the end of the prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. It's really focusing on the Lord and looking at Jesus. And if you were not able to be here last Sunday, I encourage you to go to a the website, click the link to the podcast and listen to the message from last Sunday morning and then uh, focus with us this morning as we look in Matthew chapter 6. And so what I would like you to do is to stand with me, please. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer together and then we're going to pray and then you can be seated. If standing's hard for you, then don't worry about it. But if you can, um, I'm going to start in verse 9. When I get to the Lord's Prayer, you join me. And by the way, this is not the real Lord's Prayer. This is the model prayer that Jesus taught. His real Lord's Prayer is in John 17, and we're going to look at that tonight. So I hope you'll be back at 6 tonight. But uh, Matthew, or Matthew 6, verse 9, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Read with me, please. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. This morning we come before thee a people who are so grateful for your blessings. We live in one of the greatest nations in the history of the world. We have more freedoms than most Christians could even dream about, and we rejoice in that. We know more of your word than the prophets did. We have more revelation than the apostles had when they served with you. And we just thank you and we praise you the way you've spoken to us through your word and through your spirit. And this morning, we pray that you would challenge our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would equip us, uh, because we are servants of the Most High God. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and we praise him, and we pray in his name, and, and we thank you that you hear and you answer. Now, unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory, both now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well, what does hallowed mean? That's kind of a funny word, isn't it? Hallowed. Uh, hallowed is an old word. What it means is to revere and venerate his name. It means to show great respect and treat his name as holy. So it's not just the man upstairs. This is not just the good book. This is the holy scripture 
and we serve the holy God. And we are to exalt God and exalt His name. We are to remember, even in our prayers, that He is awesome God. He is exalted and above all. And we need to think about that. Now, one of the ways that we hollow His name, we find in the third commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, uh, what does it mean to take his name in vain? What's one way you think about that? Cursing, swearing. People will say God and then add a word about damnation. And that's actually a description of when people get thrown into the lake of fire. It's a horrible uh, thing to put those words together and they say it as an expletive, as a curse word. What's another way? Using it loosely in an empty manner, just talking about And And some people use it as uh, like a term of, of uh, a descriptive expression. You know, we see in text messaging, OMG, uh, meaning, oh my God. Well, if you're talking about God, I guess that's okay, kind of a frivolous way to address it. But most of the time, people aren't talking about God. They're saying, oh my, or wow, or peanut butter. That's what Dad always said. Uh, uh, You could say, if you smash your thumb with a hammer, don't say, oh my God, say, ouch. Okay? That's perfectly acceptable. In fact, I encourage you to drop oh my from your vocabulary. Because if you say, oh my, then something has to fit in afterward. And a lot of people say, well, oh my goodness, that's not using God's name in vain. Yeah, but the first two letters of goodness are the first two letters of God. Okay, I'm being obsessive here on purpose. Don't take God's name in vain. Not as a swear word, not as a, a, a term of excitement or amazement. Oh, my Lord, unless you're really focusing on, oh, my Lord. But there's another way you take his name in vain, and you can do that in church. You can take his name in church if you pray without thinking about him. If you're praying and thinking about the people listening to your prayer, that's using God's name in vain. If you're singing hymns without really thinking of it, we were earlier singing, holy, holy, holy about our Lord God and His holiness and His awesomeness. And if you were just sitting there singing, holy, 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 and not thinking about God, then that was using His name in vain. If you read verses with His name, but are just reading and not reflecting on the meaning and and the awesomeness of God, then you are using His name in vain. You also can take his name in vain if you leave these doors and go out in the community and let it be known that you're a Christian, but you're not living in a Christ-like way. That's using his name or bearing his name in vain. So to hollow his name means to show great respect and to treat his name as holy. The ancient Jews were so awed by God's name they wouldn't even write it down. In the scriptures, in the old Hebrew scriptures, they'd get to God's name and there'd sometimes just be a blank line there. 
because they were afraid to write the name of God because the name was so holy. They revered his name. They didn't treat it like any other name. Now, in the scripture several times, it uses a two-word phrase, Abba, Father. Abba is, means father. It's from the common language, Aramaic. Uh, and so some people say, well, what this means is Daddy, Father. Now, I'm just going to read these scriptures for you, and then we'll comment on that. Mark 14, 36, Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. In Romans 8.15, Paul said, You did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. In Galatians 4.6, And because you are sons, God has set forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, the first reference in Mark is Jesus in the garden before his crucifixion, crying out to the Father, saying, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Does that sound like he's saying, Hey, Daddy? No, there's an awesome reverence for the Lord God and God the Son submitting to God the Father because that was the plan of God in eternity. And then uh, in Romans, Paul's talking about our deliverance from the bondage of sin because of Abba, Father, not hey, Daddy. And in Galatians, uh, the verses preceding that say, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, my mother-in-law was visiting a church once, and in the church service, the pastor got up and started to pray to God, and he said, Hey, Daddy, and then started praying to God. And he based it on this Abba, Father. Now, God is our heavenly dad. We all agree on that, right? If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, He is your heavenly dad. But as our heavenly Father, we address Him like Jesus said in the model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Our Father, Lord God. Not just, hey, good buddy. Unsaved people do not understand the holiness of God's name. So how do you respond to people who use God's name inappropriately? What do you do? Well, I know some Christians, they turn into pit bulls. I can't believe you would use my God's name that way. What's wrong with you? I almost had a picture of a vicious dog on the screen but I thought you'd enjoy it too much. But listen, if someone uses God's name as a swear word, here's what you do. Don't berate them. Don't yell at them. Don't scream at them. Don't belittle them. Don't scold them sternly. Just simply say, I am trying to respect and honor Jesus Christ. 
or God, whoever's name they used inappropriately. And then say, I would really appreciate it if you would not use my Lord's name or my God's name that way. Just say it like that. If they swear using God's name, I'm really trying to respect and honor God, my Heavenly Father. I would appreciate it if you wouldn't use his name that way. If they use Jesus' name as a curse word, why don't they say, oh, Buddha, when they're mad? You know, why is it Jesus Christ? And so uh, if they use Jesus Christ's name as a swear, then just say, you know, I'm really trying to honor and respect and love and follow my Lord Jesus Christ. And I would appreciate it if you wouldn't use his name that way. Please, listen to this. Do not say you are offended. Because to be honest with you, who cares? The issue is not, don't offend a Christian. The issue is, don't use God's name in vain. And let's keep the issue as the issue. And so tell them, it bothers you. When I was a Marine, I heard God's name used badly, often. And I would share it and say, you know, I'm really trying to follow God and I find uh, that I, I'm trying to respect him, and when you say it that way, um, I would appreciate it if you wouldn't. And, and so they didn't, for the most part. When I was a business manager, it was kind of funny. We were in a management meeting. There were three women in the management meeting, a room full of managers from all around the country, and one of the managers used God's name inappropriately, and he didn't say a word to the women. He turned to me and said, sorry about that. Now, I didn't dog them. I didn't threaten to fire them if they used God's name in vain. But let it be known that you have respect for God's name. And don't expect sinners to behave like saved people. They're sinners. In fact, the Bible says they're spiritually dead. They do not have the capacity to show spiritual life. So don't expect that or demand that from them. And and remember this. It is is not your job to defend God's honor. You are not the language police. That's not your job. So if they keep doing it after you've talked to them about it, what should you do? Ignore it. Pray for them and ignore it. You might every now and then bring it up again, but don't dog them. Don't every time they say it bring it up. In fact, if you act like it's seriously offensive to you and they're a typical unsaved person, they'll use it more because they love to push Christians' buttons and then watch you act not like Jesus. So it's not your job to defend God's honor, but it is your job to honor and respect Him as you love and serve Him. That's your job. So prayer begins with an understanding of God, the Father's amazing love for you. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Take your Bibles and look over to Genesis, please, chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. This is the beginning of creation. This is the beginning of humanity. 
I know some people act like humanity was nowhere till they were born. <laughs> That's not true. The Bible clearly says that. In Genesis chapter 1, and follow down with me in verse number 26. Okay, and we're going to read this slowly, so just stay with me. And God said, now the Bible doesn't explain God. It doesn't argue for the existence of God. It just says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And God has always been, always will be. It doesn't argue for God. And Hebrews 11 says, in order to be saved, you must believe that God is. So the Bible starts from the point of God is. And God said, let us make man in our image. Now, this is a hard verse for some who don't believe in the Trinity, who don't understand there is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons of the Godhead. So when God said, let us make man in our image, it was Father, Son, and Spirit in total agreement. Let us make man in our image, in the image of God. I'm sorry, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. We've been looking at creation, the beginning of God, in our uh, studies in our truck club this month. And, and it's been exciting to talk to the kids about God the Creator because uh, they're not really hearing the truth of creation in their schools uh, unless they're homeschooled by Christian parents. They're not hearing the truth of creation. Some of them go to different churches and some of them have pastors who are not uh, biblical creationists. They believe in theistic evolution, that God used the process of evolution. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible said God created people on the first day of existence. They were fully mature and capable of producing offspring, and there was no death at all till after man sinned in the garden. Not the death of a gnat, not the death of a bug, no death, not even a single-celled amoeba, no death before sin the Bible says. So if you believe in theistic evolution, then you're believing that Jesus Christ through Mary is the product of evolution. That's not true. God created. And so in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and God said, listen, we're going to do something special here. We're going to create man in our image. I feel sorry for the people in India. Uh, we were, if you were here, was it last Sunday night? been a long week. Uh, Chris Hindle was here last Sunday night, and one of the pictures he had on the screen was of a Brahma bull laying on the floor in a grocery store, and people stepping around the bull because they believe that Brahma bull is in the image of God, the gods that they believe, the false gods. And some people think that, that mankind was created or developed like a higher order monkey. Okay, listen, I've, I've watched those kids in the nursery, and there's a serious argument for that. Now, the truth is, God did not make man a little higher than the animals. Psalm 8 said, 
God made man a little lower than the angels. They're looking in the wrong direction. And so we reflect the character and nature of God when we think. We can do abstract thinking. We can think long term. We can think developing. We can think things through. Uh, we, when we love, we reflect God's character. When we worship, we reflect God's character. When we're creative, some of you are very creative. The only thing I was creative with was excuses when I was a kid, right, Nat? Uh, I was really creative with those. Uh, but uh, we, we have values and morals and passions and dreams because we were created in the image of God. And so we reflect that image as we serve him. And God's greatest joy, after God created man in his image, uh, God said, looking at all creation, he now said, it's very good. It was good before mankind. After mankind, it was very good. So God's greatest joy is found in his relationship with you. And whether you know it or not, your greatest joy is found in your relationship with him. Uh, John 3.16, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved. It's not just that he loved. He so loved. Real love, deep love, always moves you to action, always moves you to do something for the one that you love. God's deepest joy is found in his relationship with us, and his deepest passion was our salvation. So that before the foundation of the world, when God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God formed the earth, before that, he had already decreed that Jesus would be the lamb slain. From before the foundation of the world. Uh, Hebrews 12, 2, Jesus had joy set before him when he endured the cross. God's deepest passion is our salvation. That's why when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. He sent him forth because saving you was not enough. He didn't just want to save you. He wanted to adopt you. He wanted to bring you into his family. So he made it possible for your sins to be completely forgiven and you to be brought into his family. And John 14 says he wants you in his house. Let you not your heart be troubled, Jesus told his disciples. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. That, where I am, uh, there you may be also. Well, I'd skip. I will come again and receive you unto myself. He wanted them to be there. Now, a couple of times when we were in the air, when Dad was in the Air Force, the whole family was in the Air Force when he was. You know, we had to move, and a couple of times it was quick. He got orders, had to go, and and so sometimes he would fly ahead to the next city, and he'd uh, hunt for a house really fast. He'd buy a house, 
and have it ready, and then we'd move all our stuff into that house, and, and that happened several times. God has gone ahead, and Jesus is preparing a place for you, a dwelling place for you in heaven. Because God's deepest passion was your salvation. His greatest joy is interacting with you. And so he's planned for you to be part of his house. And in fact, when you invite other people over to your house, you're reflecting God when you show hospitality to them. You are reflecting God's love for humanity when you show hospitality to other people. So Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father. John 1, 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the authority to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. In 1 John 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And then he says, Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself, just as God is pure. The tallest dad I know is about seven foot four, and the shortest dad I personally know is about four foot ten. It's not the size of your body that determines uh, the, the greatness of a dad. It's the size of the heart. And God the Father has a great heart for his kids. So when you go to God in prayer, you're not trying to appease an angry God. Oh, God, please don't hurt me. That's not how we go to God in prayer. We go to a God who loves us, who invites us to come to him who encourages us. So when you pray, remind yourself that you are praying to your Father who is in heaven. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. 2 Corinthians 12.2, Paul described being caught up to the third heaven. Well, what is the heavens and the third heaven? False teachers teach there are levels of heaven. And if you're super spiritual, you get to move up. One church teaches there's seven levels of heaven. And when you get to the seventh level, you get to create your own heaven and earth. That's not what the Bible says. Quite simply, we are, with our feet on planet earth, we are living in the heavens right now. Because the atmosphere on earth is that first level of heaven. Beyond the atmosphere of earth, where the stars are, that's what the Bible calls the second heaven. And the third heaven is simply the abode of God. Well, where is that? I don't know. Um, Bible scholar finished Jake, Jake, who I would recommend you following everything he says because he teaches you can lose your salvation, but he used to call it planet heaven that's above the north star. There's no biblical evidence for that at all. We don't know whether... Heaven is massive or located in one place. 
Listen, when we pray to our Father in heaven, remember that He is in heaven, but He's also here with us. So in that prayer, Jesus addresses two things that are important aspects of the nature of God. One is He is transcendent. He is in heaven. We are praying to the transcendent one, the one who is so high and holy. But we're also praying to the immediate one, our Father. He's our spiritual dad right here with us. So he's there and here because he's omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time. God is not limited to heaven. He's in heaven and on earth. But Jesus addresses the fatherness and the heavenliness so that we would see the immediacy and the transcendence of our awesome God. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. God's there. He's watching. Kids, when you do bad, God's watching. You may get away with it. Your parents may not see it. God's watching. He's beholding the evil and the good. So, kids, adults, when you do something good and nobody notices, God's watching. In fact, Jesus said there's going to be a reward if you give just a cup of water in his name. When you get to heaven, there'll be a reward for that. Because God notices. Jeremiah 23, 24. Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? Well, last night, Megan called to us and said, the girls have disappeared. So Kathy and I went looking for the girls and I opened the closet and looked and Leah jumped out, scared the fire out of me. And, yeah! And then, then I still looked around. I, I thought Anna was some other place. But she was in the closet back behind the clothes. And, and if I ducked down at just the right angle and looked in there, well, then you could see just about this much of her between the box on the bottom and the clothes hanging down. And she was hidden in there. You know, I could have shut that door and left her in there all night long because I didn't think she was there. But you can't hide from God. To be honest with you, part of that's scary, isn't it? God notices every little thing. But you know what else? Part of that's very encouraging. There have been soldiers in combat and bombs, and darkness, and smoke, and blood, and mud. And they have sensed the presence of their God with them in those trenches. There have been people going into surgery. No family can be in there with you. They put that mask on, and they start that uh, stuff that knocks you out and gives you a headache when you wake up. And... And your anesthesia is starting to soak in, and you're getting blurry, and you're going under, and you know while you're asleep, they're going to cut into you. Your God is there with you. When you're standing in court having a battle with somebody, God is there 
with you. When your car breaks down in the middle of a dark highway, God is there with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He loves you personally, individually, and completely. He loves with an everlasting love. And Jesus wanted us to remember that when we pray, we pray to our Father. The one who has loved us before time. He knew we were coming and knew he would shower his love upon us. Our Father. And we present our needs to him. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be his name. Do you show respect for God when you pray? I read in a magazine this article and a guy said, I'm going to teach you how to pray so you can pray and focus your prayers like a laser beam instead of a shotgun and you can nail in there and God will give you exactly what you're praying for. Well, I serve a God who's a lot bigger than my petty little dreams and I don't want God to settle for what I think is right. I want the one who really knows to do what's right. And so we yield to him and we submit to him but we come to him as Father, not in fear, but in love. Showing respect for God when we pray, and when we talk about him, and when we listen to him. I remember a time when my dad had to pick me up at the police station. It wasn't my fault. It was. And I remember when he walked in, I was so embarrassed. I was cowering, and I expected him to be angry. He was really upset at what I'd done. But he wanted me to know he loved me because I was his son. That's a human death. Your heavenly Father loves with a perfect love. And when you have failed him, and when you have sinned, and you come before him with a broken heart, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because he is our Father, who loves and cares about us, whose greatest joy is humanity, whose greatest passion was our salvation, and who's building a place for us to live in his house. What a joy. When you talk to God, do you remember Him that way? When you listen to God, do you picture Him that way? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I hope that you know God. If you don't, I hope you'll trust Christ as your Savior today. Ask Him to forgive your sins. And save your soul. Jim's going to come and we're going to sing a, a hymn worthy of worship because that's who our God is. He is worthy of worship and praise. Let's stand as we sing.